You're listening to Campus Review Radio. This is Carl Treacher, and I'm joined by Martin Betts. We're the founders of HEDEX, and our podcast explores the changing landscape of the higher education sector in association with Campus Review. Welcome to the Higher Education Experience. Welcome to HEDEX. Martin, what have you got in store for us this week? Well, Carl, we've got a very interesting guest this week in another Vice-Chancellor from the sector, um, Geraldine McKenzie, the Vice-Chancellor and President of the University of Southern Queensland, um, based with its principal campus in Toowoomba. She's also a board member of the Peakbody Universities Australia. So we'll get a, a view from the sector as a whole and what's happening in one of our leading regional universities in our episode today. And in your experience in the sector, are you familiar with Geraldine and her work? Yeah, she's, um, she's had some significant spells at a number of our leading universities um, throughout Queensland and northern New South Wales. She was, for a while, a lawyer at QUT. Um, she also had a, a good stint at um, Southern Cross University um, in, in northern New South Wales and, and has now been at um, the head position at, at University of Southern Queensland for three years or so. So an experienced player and very much across the issues of regional universities and the issues facing the sector as a whole. And speaking really plainly and, and frankly, how have they gone? How have they weathered the, um, the pandemic to date? Um, well, universities generally, I, I, th- I think that's a really interesting issue, actually, because I, I know that there's been a lot of commentary on all sectors as we've gone through the last 12 months about this concept of there being winners and losers. And I think people see that playing out in some individuals with their skills and backgrounds become winners in this situation and others don't. Um, I think there's certainly an argument that different sectors have have had have either been winners or losers. I mean, if you're in the aviation or tourism or international student, um, you know, accommodation provision sector at the moment, then you're definitely in the category of people that are finding it incredibly tough, whereas there there are actually sectors, aren't there, like the tech sector um, and some different home entertainment and regional services and online services that have actually done incredibly well out of this. I think that winners and losers also plays out in terms of geography. So... The phenomena that we're seeing very much in my part of the world is, and I, and I think it's Australia-wide, I'm, I'm sure you see it in New South Wales too, is that a significant number of people going through tree and sea changes, uh, a flight from some of our inner city areas where suddenly the um, the one and two bedroom apartments in a city centre don't look quite as attractive with, with their CBD locations as they did two years ago. Mm. And the green space and the, and the sea space is, is a very different proposition. So, sorry, that's a long-winded way of saying what's going on with USQ. Well, it, it, it gets involved in some of that in exactly that same sort of way. So an experienced vice-chancellor in a region that has um, seen a, a, an increase in interest to it um, is, is, one, is one where there's been certain advantages that they can take, a, take, take advantage of. And certainly Geraldine and USQ have sought to do that. One of the things I have noticed just moving between Sydney and Melbourne over the last few weeks prior to this snap lockdown was um, you know, a return to, to formal behaviour. So we talk about this sea and tree change. I'm interested to know, if, is that a permanent move or is that something that people are doing as a, you know, taking the kids out of school for a year or a term or are we going to have a sea change and a tree change for a, a period of time? Or is this a, a more permanent move? From what I could see in, 
you know, business circles, at least in Melbourne and Sydney, as soon as the restrictions were lifted, people defaulted to pre, um, prior behaviour. And I'm interested to see if that carries through to higher education. I think I think that's absolutely um, a, a very fair point to be making because we, 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 when we're in the midst of things that are, you know, major changes that are going on, there's a great temptation to see them as being permanent and things will never go back to normal. Whilst I don't think things will ever go back to normal, whether we'll see a flight from cities to regional areas or a flight from CBDs to suburbs being a permanent move, I think there's a lot of question marks over that, which is, which is why the, the dilemma of winners and losers short term and winners and losers long term is a really difficult one for, for leaders in all sectors to grasp and particularly difficult for universities at the moment. I, I, I think there's two things at play there. Are we seeing the move from city to regional? And the other is, to what extent is our embracing of digital technology a short-term circumstance of, of remote working and um, isolation from campuses? Or is it a permanent adjustment that will see digital disruption endure beyond any movement from living in city centres or, or regional centres? You know, one of the other things I've noticed is uh, how active the university brands have been in communication. There's lots of new campaigns that I keep seeing popping up on different forums, television, online. And so I think they're doing a pretty good job, to be frank, in, uh, in getting on the front foot with that. Of course, for me, the interest is beyond that. It's the experience. How, how many are going into the, the understanding and the depth to investigate culture and the, the challenges that people are having to deliver an experience to customers, consumers, relationship with industry through this period? And, I, and that's the part I don't know that we're getting under the hood enough um, either in this podcast or just in general to have those conversations or even if leaders want to talk about it. It might be something that is almost a bit of a blackout. Well, I don't think they... I mean, I think they recognise that experience has always been important and it's important again in the future. But, I mean, we saw this in the episode a couple of... the interview a couple of episodes ago with Sarah, the student from Monash, didn't we? That she was delighted with the short-term emergency experience that Monash were able to provide but was lamenting the loss of the long-term social interactions which had been such an attractor for her to go to universities. I don't think we... I, I think we've given so much focus to the short-term experiences of survival but not enough to the long-term experiences in our universities about thriving coming out the other side. So I, I agree, it's going to be a crucial issue. Why don't we have a listen to Geraldine? Yeah, it'd be good. So our guest today on HEDEX is Professor Geraldine McKenzie, who's led the University of Southern Queensland as its Vice-Chancellor for more than three years. Geraldine's also a board member of Universities Australia. Geraldine, welcome to HEDEX. Thanks, Martin. And Geraldine, if I can start at the second part of that introduction first, just briefly. Being involved with Universities Australia in times that are seen by many as being probably the toughest times there's ever been to be a Vice-Chancellor leading a major Australian university. It must be quite a responsibility, not only for your own institution, but more broadly. What, what do you see the biggest challenges the sector as a whole is facing now we've come into 2021? And how, how well do you feel the sector's pulling and working together in facing those challenges? I wouldn't disagree with you for a moment that it's been the most challenging year that any of us could have possibly imagined. But it has been uh, very much characterised by the sector pulling together. It's been um, certainly a challenge, but it's a real privilege to serve on the board, which I joined late last year, and to see the way that everybody is working together towards a common goal. The university sector is very diverse, as we all know, and uh, it's not always characterised by that sort of incredible single-minded collaboration, but that's certainly what we've all experienced here. 
during COVID, I think we all realised that having the one voice going forward um, as much as possible, it won't always be possible, but having the one voice is an effective advocacy um, method because otherwise uh, we're all looking for different things and that's just not going to happen at a time like this. So it's something that none of us could have possibly imagined would happen, the challenges that have come with it, for example, with international students and other issues. In saying that, whilst it has definitely challenged us, it's been an opportunity to stand up and lead and to uh, lead our organisations at a time which we hope will never, ever be repeated. And, of course, we're far from over the whole incident yet. We've got a long way to go. But uh, it's been an opportunity, I think, to, to stand up and... Uh, Things like values are never more important than they are at the moment. So, yes, it's been an incredible challenge, but it is a real privilege in leadership at times like this, not only for our own universities, but also having leadership positions in the sector. And it's been remarkable to watch those who are leading organisations like Universities Australia or Queensland VCs or all of those other ones, including our own, the Regional Universities Network, and watching how people have really risen to the challenge. And it's been really inspirational watching it happen. It's really encouraging to hear that um, some of those things don't get in the public gaze quite so much as I'm sure they are behind the the scenes. Um, but you, you, you said in, in that answer that it's far from over, and I'm sure we're all very mindful of that. And I'm sure you're mindful of that in leading USQ, if I bring it back more to more of a local level for you. And so where are you up to at USQ right now in, in having reset the university for a new year and with issues such as ensuring a sustainable budget for 2021 and working through organizational, organizational changes? This is happening in all universities, but what's the picture at USQ right now? So mid last year, we realised, I think, as we all did, that we were facing at least an 18-month challenge. So we devised a COVID recovery strategy that made sure that we were on the front foot and that we were leading through the recovery, not the other way around. We're still working very much to that strategy. Uh, I think the 18-month timeframe was wise and appropriate. We uh, worked out there were a lot of things that we had to do to come out the other end. So we had to reimagine a lot of what we did and reskill in lots of ways. But that's happened, I think, in a way that um, was more seamless than we could have imagined, although I wouldn't for a moment underestimate the difficulties that there were with our staff and students having to adapt. And I take my hat off to our staff and our leadership teams in the university the work that they had to do to adapt because it really was remarkable there's no other way of looking at it that put us in a good position because it did put us on the front foot we looked at all of the things that we did during COVID and took the best of those things so for example there are still restrictions on large lectures on campus and they're very very difficult in fact they would be almost impossible to do we made a decision on pedagogical reasons as well as COVID that Large lectures were things probably of the past. Uh, students have voted with their feet for many years now in terms of large lectures. But that was one example of a positive change for COVID in that we already had many other interactive ways of running that type of information dissemination. And therefore, that's one really good example of the way that we were able to carve out a much more sustainable future. One thing you learn during COVID is there's no point fighting 
those restrictions and challenges, you have to just go with them and the quicker that you can do that, the better. Uh, so I think for us, we were able to weather it perhaps more easily than others because we didn't have as many international students. We were already online, we were already very experienced, had the knowledge, we had the technology, we were able to quickly switch and just had to switch over our on-campus students, which again, I wouldn't underestimate how difficult that was for them and students really welcomed coming back. So we've been fully back on campus from July last year. So from semester two last year, with the exception of the large lectures where the restrictions still are. So whilst, as we said earlier on, it's been the most challenging time for universities and to be a leader, it's also a time that we've been able to make some positive changes. Because I think when something terrible happens, everybody wants something good to come out of it. So we've made sure that we're keeping the good. We've uh, certainly not underestimated the difficulties, but we've faced each one as we've had to. There are things um, that happen from time to time, again, just a month ago, that really challenge us. And we have to manage to the known risk and look ahead. I do believe that the university will come out of it well. We do have a sustainable budget. 21 and 22 won't be easy, but we've been able to weather 2020 really well. And 2021, I think, will probably be the most challenging year, but we're well set up for those challenges. And uh, with the support of our council, we've been very fortunate. We've had an excellent relationship with them. They've backed up management the whole way. And that has also been a key to success, working really closely with our governance group. Yeah, times like this sort of bring people together, not only in terms of the sector and its universities, but different levels of governance and leadership and its staff from what you're describing. But, um, yeah, absolutely. So, so you described there some of the changes that have happened in how you teach um, at USQ. What about what you're teaching and where you focus your research? Have you had to pull back from some areas of offerings and of research endeavour? Um, we really haven't. We thought that we would at the beginning of COVID. We... Um, when we were working on our strategic crisis plan, there were lots of issues that came up with respect to research. Certainly things were put on hold for quite some time. It was very disruptive to PhD students. But in saying that, we have been able to sustain our efforts. We've been able to largely catch up. There were some milestones that needed adjusting inevitably. But our flagships, which we really established and settled on with respect to our new strategic plan that's coming in very soon, actually, first quarter of this year, we hope. With respect to that new strategic plan, our flagships of space and defence, health, agriculture and regional development have become all the more important and the focus has become even more sharp on those. That's interesting. And um, they're, they're the sort of areas where you believe, and I'm sure you're right, that USQ has a reputation in areas of study. Um, I think it's widely understood that USQ's also had a strong reputation in both serving regional communities and, and delivering education remotely for, for, for a number of years now. Has, um, has that experience and reputation served you in coping with the challenge of, of 2020 in a particularly USQ-like way, do you think? Have you responded differently to the challenges because you've had that strength of reputation and experience? What COVID showed us was the need to really double down and really have a laser-like focus on what we do well. And what we do well is our engagement with the community, our work with students who are enrolled online and supplying 
um, that type of educational experience for those students. What we also had to do was refocus on our on-campus students and ensure that they were getting an excellent experience. So you do have to do both at the same time, but it enabled us, I think, to really consolidate our position as a leading regional university. And the focus that we had on our communities became even more so, but also to look at our on-campus experience because COVID challenged us to look at everything, all of the aspects of what we do and the entire student experience. So one of the positives out of it was that we had to look really closely at that and that was one of the things that we did as part of our recovery strategy. It's interesting, um, some of the themes we're covering here today, Geraldine, sort of reflects the more recent conversations that I've had with Vice Chancellors like um, Duncan Bentley at Federation University and Acting Vice Chancellor John Germoff at, at Charles Sturt. Um, there's some speculation that arose um, out of our conversations there. The prospect of our universities getting even more local and locally focused in serving regional communities, particularly as we're seeing tree changes and sea changes play out in Australia and more moves to regional centres and living, whether that's going to be a big driver for universities like USQ or, or whether the other way of looking at this, that they might be open to the disruption, as all universities would be, from major online plays that may have local or even national providers threatened by global players. I wonder how you see from your position of strength serving regional communities and strength offering um, remote education, how you see the uncertainty if it does exist between what's going to play out there, what it means for how you're positioning USQ at present. It's a really good question, of course, too early to tell because we haven't yet seen all of those factors play out. We are, of course, speculating as much as anybody else is for the future when we're determining our next five-year, 10-year and following strategies. What is going to happen with respect to that? What we are doing at the moment is really all we can do is, is really focusing on what we do well. I think you've described it with respect to work we do in our communities and the support we give to our students, both our on-campus and our mature-age students who may choose generally to study online. That's what we do. That's what we do really well. A lot of regional unions do have a very similar focus, but we want to ensure that we remain at the leading edge of that. Like I was saying earlier, COVID has really made us look at what we do, how we do it, and how we can do it better. And that's what we're concentrating on all the time. Interesting to hear you talking there, Geraldine, about the new strategic plan that you'll be introducing at USQ in part of the way through this year. Can, can you give us a bit of a, an insight into what the major highlights of that are and how they've been impacted by your experience coming out of COVID? Sure. So in some ways, um, having COVID happen in the, in the middle of our finalisation of a new strategic plan was a terrible place to be. But on the other hand, it was a really good place to be because it enabled us to look at things differently. And as it turned out, that was actually a blessing that it happened when it did. Not that we had any problems with what we're doing, but it makes you really interrogate deep inside the organisation. And I think we're going to come out of it a much stronger place as a result of that. Um, whereas our 18-month strategy was really about refocusing and recommitting and reimagining the way we do things. Our new strategy has got more the trans words, transformation, translation of research. 
um, all underpinned by innovation. So very much looking to the future, but informed by the challenges that we had, because I think deep down, we don't like to acknowledge it, but we know that it's when you face big problems and big challenges that you get the most incredible results because of what you have to do to overcome them. So I think in all, we would look back and say it was a positive that COVID happened at that stage in our planning process because we stopped, thought about it again, and then went forward taking into account all of those challenges. So on the one hand, a terrible thing to happen. It delayed us by a good six months even more. But the reflection is going to make us a much better university. That sounds really interesting, the, the different translation and transformation ways that you've um, accelerated perhaps the progress of, of strategic thinking as a positive coming out of this. Just bringing our, our interview towards a conclusion, but one thing you didn't say there was what I might have expected. No, knowing that USQ was rated very highly in, in 2020 on graduate pay in the graduate outcomes survey, and with such a focus in the job ready graduate package and employability and upskilling so so prevalent and prominent in our economic context i just wonder where the where the the, the importance of employability lies in the evolving strategy of usq um, i guess i didn't mention it because it does underpin everything that we do and for our students who come to us they are looking for that practical degree where they can go straight out into the workforce and our ratings on employability and once again top in Australia on high starting salary demonstrate why the students come to us and what they're expecting of us so um, that underpins everything it will still be there in the next strategy but we're looking for the next big thing as well so that is what we do at the moment it's very much our focus and same with community engagement and industry engagement is huge for us too we want to make sure our research and our teaching are even closer together. We want to make sure that in looking towards the future, we're anticipating so much more what programs the students want to do. We want to make sure, as I said earlier, that innovation underpins everything that we do. So whether it's research, whether it's translation of our research, the R&D, whether it's our teaching programs, we want to make sure that we're right at that cutting edge and we're not running to catch up. Oh, very good. So it sounds like um, sounds like you're having fun up there in Toowoomba, Geraldine. I, I wonder if I can, in closing, just ask you whether you're enjoying the challenge of being a Vice-Chancellor in Australian University right now. Oh, look, I've been extremely fortunate to uh, be here for three and a half years now. And yes, it's the most challenging time of anybody's career and nobody would want to go through that again. But I'm very lucky to love my job. I work with fabulous people. The staff here are just incredible. In a small university, you get to know people. You get to know students, you get to know staff in particular. We all work together as a team. People aren't working against each other. We're all here for the same reason. I work in these wonderful regional communities. The support we get from the community, the leadership in our community, the, um, the support that we get from industry. I've been on the phone too industry figures today, uh, it's remarkable. They, they know they can pick up the phone and ring me um, on any issue and they do, and I do the same with them. And, and plus we have the advantage of uh, proximity to the capital city. So we really do live the best of both worlds in this particular regional community on the Darling Downs where I live. It's just extraordinary, it's a fabulous place to live. 
And, you know, post-COVID, it's clean, green and safe. We haven't had anything happen here since about April, an active case since about April. So it's been a long time. I might have that slightly wrong, but it's been many, many months. And uh, we're very, very fortunate to have that. So we have a fantastic quality of life. The employability here is great in these regional communities. They need all the teachers, all the nurses, all the engineers that we can churn out. Hence why our great employability statistics. And it's just a great place to live. So I am so lucky to have this fabulous job and I appreciate that every day that I come <laughs> to work. And I think most of my staff here at the uni, everybody would say the same thing, that we all love being here. It's a great employer and I'm lucky to have a fantastic relationship with my council, which I think is key to it as well. Well, thanks for sharing so much optimism and positive thinking about the, the state of at least one university in early 2021. And thanks very much for joining us on HEDEX, um, Geraldine. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Martin. That's a pleasure. Well, that was interesting. Martin, what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think it's been um, building upon a number of issues that we've had over a series of our podcast episodes now, Carl. And I, th I, thought, I thought Geraldine gave some fantastic insights and some fantastic answers to many of our questions. I mean, the, the one that she herself recognised was the perhaps the million-dollar question of whether digital disruption or regional diversification will dominate in the way that strategies play out, play out in the next little while. She herself said it's probably too early to, to call that, and yet, to some extent, every university in the country is going to have to make a call on that sooner than later because it, it will have such major impacts, as we said before we listened to the, the interview, on the strategies of universities and all organisations going forward. Yeah, the, the evidence that I've got out of sector, I've never seen so much activity around digital development. Traditional brands looking to enter the digital world in a variety of ways, warding off un, you know, seen and unforeseen challenges, making sure that they've got all sorts of ammunition in their, um, their quiver to deal with. Um, you know, the very changing way that people want to be um, communicating, learning, interacting with one another. Well, I think we're seeing the same in universities, but we're also seeing that layered, of course, on top of, and I don't know if this is happening out of sector, but all of our universities come with quite different histories and, and, and trajectories that have brought them into 2020. And USQ is quite unusual in being a, a regional university, partly serving a regional a region and its needs and interests, but also having this huge interest in distance education, in online education, and in serving specialist employment needs. Now, that was, that was their thing before 2020, and the extent to which Geraldine was able to outline that adding up on, onto that the regional growth issues and the digital disruption, these things play out based upon where, where you start from and what your histories have been in quite different ways, I think. You know, it's not too dissimilar from a lot of brands that, that we've worked with over the years that have a distinct brand image. And they do, everyone has a story. They've all got a particular flavor or a scent that they get known for and a responsibility for delivering on that for that particular community. So the way that they shape their offering and they position whatever they need to, albeit in a new digital environment, has to speak to that brand essence. Well, I think that that's very much the case. And uh, for universities, brand essence hasn't been part of their language. We've reflected on that before. But their distinctive reputation has been what they've been putting a lot of focus on. And I think for some of the words that, um, that Geraldine used there in describing the fact that they had a strategy that they were about to unveil anyway, they had to pause its development and revisit it in the light of COVID. 
And the acceleration and speeding up of prior strategies based upon brand essence, if you like, or former reputation, to have more of a flavor of translation and transformation. I found that quite interesting, the way that there's been that acceleration of strategic development in, in her mind. The, the language part fascinates me because, as you know, I sort of run into that, in, that challenge, be it in sector and out of sector. Uh, and largely it's that um, organizations don't really understand the definitions. And brand essence is, can be seen as very sort of flowery and very sort of um, you know, untethered as, in terms of its value. But, you know, for, for many years, banks were um, were very wedded to having a healthy reputation, but they weren't talking about what they had a reputation for. And that's really what brand essence is. You know, what is, what's your reason? Like, what is what do you have a reputation for delivering? Rather than we have a healthy reputation from a governance perspective. Yes, we have good leadership. We have risk mitigation. We have, you know, conduct in place and compliance. That's a typical language of what we saw out of sector, particularly in the banks through the Royal Commission, it was only when they really got challenged that they had to recognise that reputation distinction had an enormous, enormous value to them across their reputation health, but also in their ability to attract and retain customers, shareholders and those people that support the organisation. Well, you and I have reflected on conversations I've been part of in the university sector about that, in that I've sat in some executive groups where senior leaders of universities have said, we just want to be known to be being a good university. And the contrast between that way of thinking and, and, and others who see, no, we don't just want to be a good university. We want to be known for being distinctive as a university. And I, I, th- I think, the, the, we, we, again, we've reflected on this in earlier episodes, the propensity of, for all 39 of our universities to be on a path to all try and aspire to be a good university rather than each of the 39 trying to be distinctive in what they're known for I think is a very significant change that COVID, pandemic, the current strategic environment is accelerating and shining a light on. You only have to look out a sector to recognise its value. You don't see any tech company saying, we just want to be a good tech company and we expect to give excellent shareholder returns based on that strategy. It doesn't work. You have to be known for something. Apple's known for creativity, for bringing creativity to everyone's lives. Um, Nike's known for owning athleticism through its culture and product and anything you have to do with it. The banking sector is a great one in Australia. We all know the big four in Australia. We know that Westpac's known for social justice or its community investment. And because of that, consumers believe that they're actually more people-centric. CBA is known for its financial prowess. It's known for its financial performance and its products. The other two, NAB and ANZ, all both very good banks, but have failed to distinguish themselves. They don't have a point of differentiation. You know, NAB's a very good bank. ANZ's a very good bank. That they perform worse than the other two that I mentioned because they don't have a point of distinction. They don't. They service everyone. They're everything to everyone. NAB's actually Australia's largest business bank, so it's got a very obvious point of distinction. But people don't know that because they don't sort of even identify that as their key talking point. This point of distinction issue is um, is really fascinating, and I'd relate it to some of the comments that we or questions and comments that we got from Geraldine at the start of that interview about how the sector as a whole is working at the moment. I mean. There she is on the board of Universities Australia, which has come under an incredible pressure representing all 39 universities. And, the, you know, they are so different, even though they aspire to be the same. If you're trying to advocate to government about the needs of all 39 universities, when you've got all of this dynamic around 
sea change, tree change, digital disruption, research intensity and everything else playing out, it's very difficult to speak with one voice. And she mentions <clears throat> the regional university network, the group that USQ is part of, and the group of Queensland vice-chancellors. I think the... the one thing that I observe going on in the sector at the moment is there's, there's a real lot of strain, there's a real lot of pressure, and there's some gaps starting to open up that are bigger than they've been in the past, I believe, between those different groups of universities, the regional, GOA, technology, innovative research universities, and even in some of the recent press reports, gaps starting to open up between chancellors and vice-chancellors groups in terms of how the sector needs to behave. So... Times of stress for the sector, times of stress for individual leaders, some cracks starting to, to appear. I think these people leading our institutions are in need of help at the moment. And hearing you talk about the banks, I'm sure that must have been a phenomenon around Royal Commission and other things for CEOs of our big four banks and others, wasn't it? Oh, completely. You know, we were very, very deep inside the Royal Commission with the banks for a number of years prior to the Royal Commission because they knew it was coming. But for, for a decade, you know, the most coveted job in Australia was pretty much being a bank CEO. They paid very well. They got to um, have big influence on the community. They managed uh, you know, vast numbers of you know, 35,000, 50,000 people. Um, that everyone wanted that job. Come the Royal Commission, uh, look, people might, might have still wanted that job, but the job had changed. And the people that they had around them supporting them had to change. And some took that, you know, the bull by the horns on that and made the, the change. And what I mean by that is if you are in crisis and you're trying to find a, a key point of um, distinction or you're trying to make sure that you find your way out, you often have to look further afield than the consulting firms of which you've relied on for things like your audit. Um, and I'm not going to go into the, the names and things, but these aren't dynamic places. There's a great intellectual capital within those firms. But if you're looking for... Our brand distinction, how do we align our brand and culture together? How do we ensure that our culture and our brand distinguish us in a way that delivers a unique experience? That is not where you go. And so if they didn't, didn't go there, what would they do? They'd go to an ad agency that would come up with a campaign. That's not the, that's not the answer either. So it's a very specialized niche skill that, to be able to say, what is it that's going to recognize your point of distinction and difference? How can people attribute value to that above and beyond its competitors that you can then inst can, um, push through operations, I should say, inside the organization to ensure that it's a consistent, validated position that you're taking that you can support that's actually going to sustain you moving forward? And it's very possible, but there's a lot of people with a hand up in the industry to support those companies, just like there was with the Royal Commission. Everyone had their hand up, crisis communication, PR firms, whoever it might be. And we saw what happened. The banks got absolutely slaughtered, some worse than others, based on the decisions they made on who was going to support them through that. Yeah, I, I, I think this is a very interesting time, isn't it, for, for universities. Being prepared to ask for help at a time like this is probably a sign of strength rather than weakness, whereas I think so many people have seen the, you know, putting your hand up and asking for help in the past has not been seen as that. And Martin, sorry to interrupt you, but that, that's a very, very good point. So in the Royal Commission, that's precisely what happened. Those people that went it alone with their in-house counsel and didn't look further afield fared much, much worse. We had CEOs having to resign. We saw chairmen's re chairman resign. We saw people that had been the, po the poster boy, the Australian Institute of Company Directors, which in Australia is the gold standard in governance, have to resign because they hadn't 
actually put their hand up and shown vulnerability and said, let's have an audit, let's have a look at what we can do better here. They had a sense of arrogance and complacency that really led them into trouble. Well, I mean, chancellors and, and vice chancellors is the equivalent of chairman and CEOs in, in our sector. I mean, we've just had that interview with Geraldine and I posed the question to her, is it going to be the regional diversification or is it going to be the digital disruption that dominates? Her answer was, that's a really good and big question. I think every vice chancellor has that big question at the moment, and I'm really intrigued to know where they're getting some help on answering that and what that means from their trajectory of the past of where they need to go next. Mm-hmm. I think I think this is question, these are questions that have to be answered right away at this part in 2021 if you're going to get on the right path of coming out of this and being a thriving institution. Mm. And we've come out of the, the frantic frenzy of 2020 where where was survival was really first um was was first port of call into a time now that it is you know quality of strategy that's going to determine success. Well, and as as you and I have said on well as you've told us on previous episodes it's also crucial in that ultimately this will will fall or 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 survive on the experience of customers, our students, our industry partners, our staff with regard to these things. And that experience will be driven by the extent to which culture aligns with that strategy and that point of differentiation. Mm. So finding the point of differentiation with a really good understanding of the dynamics that are going on, setting a strategy for that and building the culture that delivers experiences for that. There could be nothing more important for our vice chancellors right now. And we're saying that they need some help from beyond the normal sources. Absolutely. Martin, next week we uh, touch base with one of Australia's leading search consultants who is completely in touch with industry and commercial requirements right now around the type of talent that big organisations are searching for coming out of universities or coming out of other mechanisms. So I'm really interested to sort of move away from uh, the typical interviews that we have, which have been excellent. I'm sure we'll sure get back there. But next week we'll tap into Lloyd Lazaro from the executive chair to, to listen to what he has to say around the change in requirement coming from um, executive fulfillment and search. I'm really looking forward to hearing Lloyd's views and, and your interview with him, Carl. I, I think we, from the start, have recognised for HEDEX to really succeed here. We need to get perspectives on the higher education experience from 360 degrees. We've heard that from the leaders. We've heard that from students. Hearing it from customers in terms of um, outside employers and advisors to people forming, making their path into careers is, is a crucial part of that 360 degree picture. And that's all we have time for on this episode of HeadX. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Carl.